Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Now, as we as we come to your word, Father, and I just pray that you would do in us what you want to do in this in this time to come. Do in us your good purpose. Lord, we have idols and we need you to speak to us and help us and expose them. And only your Holy Spirit can do it. And only your Holy Spirit can show us the full weight of your glory. So please, would you do that in Jesus name? Amen. Okay, so we are in the second week of a four-week series across the parish, a four-week series on humanity, who are we? And I think last week you had Jill and Ian, we are creative agents. At Alive at Nine we had Richard on, we are tortured wonders, and you'll have that next week. And tonight we are on, we are compulsive worshippers, compulsive worshippers. Now, worship is not a common word, is it? It's not a word we use every day. You wouldn't call up your friend, your son, your brother and say, hey, how's it going? What you been up to? What have you been worshipping this week? We wouldn't say that, but but it, it actually might be quite a sensible question, actually, if we had those kind of conversations with each other, quite a sensible question because worship, you see, is something that we are constantly doing. We are compulsively doing it, doing it all the time. And what I mean by that is that we as human beings, we don't simply live. And I dare say that Ray, with his experiences in war, would probably agree with this. I don't know, maybe I shouldn't speak for another person. But we don't simply live. We live for something. There is something that we always, as human beings, will look at that thing and that thing captures our imagination. That thing fills our heart with hope or meaning. That thing concerns us above all others. That thing has our allegiance, our commitment, and we will go to the wall for that thing. Uh, We are not just out to fill our belly as human beings. We want someone or something that will fill us with hope, that will fill us with meaning. And that is what worship is all about. That thing that we orient our hearts to and say, that is the thing that makes my worth, my life worthwhile. That is the thing that makes me secure and safe. We're always doing this. We are always orienting ourselves to things for safety, meaning, security. We are always worshipping. The only question is, well, what or who are we worshipping? In peacetime, in wartime, who or what are we worshipping? What are we orienting our lives towards? What is filling our imagination and our spare time? What is gripping our hearts? What do we talk about together? What do we live for? The fact that we are this way is not an accident, is it? It's not an accident that we're always living for something because the Bible tells us in Genesis 1 and 2 
that most famous of statement about human beings, that we are made in God's image. And what is it about an image? Well, an image is always pointing towards that greater reality. The image on the coin points towards that greater reality of the queen, and in the future we'll have the king on the coins. On your walls, I'm sure you all have images. These are some of the ones from my wall, and if we were at your house, we'd see images on your wall. And the images and photos and that we have on our walls, they speak to those greater realities of family and, 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 and experiences and histories and times shared. So, and that's what we are. We are images of God. We are made to point towards that greater reality, um, um, the God who created this whole universe and who created us. We are built to be worshippers, built to be oriented towards that greater reality. But the tragedy, the tragedy of who we are as humans is that we don't live that purpose. Instead, what we do, like in the story of the golden calf that we heard read, we, we orient our lives down. So in that story of the golden calf, you'll remember it, Moses is up on the mountain, and he's meeting with God, and he is receiving revelation from God and God's guidance, and he's, he's speaking and meeting with God on God's own terms up there. And the people are down the bottom, and they are not happy with that. They're not happy that, that the God who has called them out of Egypt is a God of consuming fire who is up there in a way and who's not down here with us, and they want a God who is within their grasp, a God who is on this level down here with us. And so they, they shift their, their gaze downwards, and then they say, okay, well, what have we got? We've got all this gold and, and riches. Let's take this and let's, let's, make a, 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 let's throw this in the fire, and out comes a calf. And, and we, we laugh about it, and I, do, I, I find it amusing as well, except until later when we're going to start to think about how we do something that is identical of taking the created things and throwing them into the fire of our imagination and outcomes and idol. And, and so what they did then was tragic. They, they had the God of the universe right there, but they pointed their eyes downwards and worshipped uh, this, this statue. And it was tragic and it offended God greatly, didn't it? God was very angry with Israel for this. And throughout the Bible, and in Romans 1, which we'll look at, we can have that up. And in Romans 1, probably most clearly, I think, we come to understand that God is rightly offended and angry when we do this. Let's have the Romans 1 up there. Thank you. And just to, to read this one more time, for although they, this is talking about human beings in general, all of us, this is us, for although they, we knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, birds, animals, and reptiles. Paul is saying lots of things, really deep passage about our hearts, about who we are, about our compulsive worship, what we do with that. 
The first thing he says here is that we know better. We know better than to worship the created things when we look around the creation with its splendor, with its complexity. We've heard some people giving testimony to that tonight. When we experience the depth, the beauty, the goodness, the overwhelmingness of this creation, we know that there is a creator God beyond it, Paul says. Uh, He has made his divine nature known through creation. There is a greater reality. We know that. But then Paul says we don't worship God the creator. Give him thanks. What is this give him thanks? Give thanks. Why is that such a big deal, Paul? Is the Biggest problem in the universe, we're talking about wars and all these things, is the biggest problem in the universe that we don't have good manners or something like that? Well, no, that's not not what he means. What he means here is um, honour where honour is due. And I think we know a bit about that, even tonight as we sit and listen and honour the stories and the histories of our veterans. We we know a bit about honour where honour is due. I've got a different illustration, which is from contemporary culture at the moment, and I'm not sure whether this is one that you you would be personally very interested in, but I am following quite a bit the whole chat GPT, artificial intelligence thing that's going on. And one of the big controversies that's going to happen in the next year is that OpenAI is going to get sued for billions, probably, because what they've done is they've scraped the internet and used all this content out there and they take it and then they take it and put it into their huge trillion number large language model and you ask it a question it spits it out, all wise and all knowing. And there it is, self-sufficient, the answer to everything. And it doesn't give credit where credit is due. It doesn't give honour where honour is due. Now you take that and you magnify it cosmically to the God of the universe who gives us everything, who gives us our breath, who gives us our eyesight, our ear, our sense of hearing, who gives us energy, our food, who gives us each other, who gives us homes to live in and all these things, who gives us absolutely everything, and then we do not give him credit where credit is due. We don't give him honour where honour is due. And that's why God is rightly offended and angry. When instead of giving honour where honour is due, we orient our hearts downwards. Now, it's, it's doubly tragic when we do this, when we orient our hearts away from the God of the universe and down into the things of this world, because it robs God of the honour He deserves as the one who gives us everything. It robs Him of that. <clears throat> but it's also tragic because when we as human beings turn to anything else like what Paul describes here. When we turn to anything in creation to meet our need for meaning, purpose, security, safety, we turn to anything else, it cannot deliver on that promise of fulfillment. It cannot deliver. And so it's tragic for us. If we, we can think of some of the common things and we can think of some of the rare things that we attempted or that we do set our hearts on. If, if we set our hearts on money or wealth as the, the thing that holds our security, the thing that holds our hopes, then that is going to transform us and turn our hearts into something because we become like what we worship. 
but it will also give us a never-ending dissatisfaction. If we turn to sex, which is another great temptation of our generations, if we turn to sex and follow whatever our sexual desires tell us and where they lead us, then we will never find satisfaction that way. We will always be left wanting more, needing more, and we will also lose what sex was built for. If we turn to our work and our achievements, our career, to find fulfilment there, then we will continually be living with anxiety, whether we've done enough, whether we've been enough, whether we are enough. If we look, turn to our family for our ultimate satisfaction purpose, then we will put enormous pressure on ourselves because if we are not perfect, if we are not the family that we need to fill ourselves with meaning, then we're devastated. It's the end of the world. It's the end of our life. And then at one point or another, we're all going to die and we'll lose our family members at that point too. So whatever we put our hopes in in this creation, the tragedy is it's going to let us down. It's not going to deliver. At one point, it's going to leave us devastated. That's what Paul is saying here. And you can think of more nuanced examples that are relevant for you, and I would encourage you to do that. Because what Paul is saying here is not just about for people out there. It's for people in here. It's for me. It's for you. That we have hearts like this that are, have this bias to turn in this futile way to worship things and treat them as if they're ultimate. As if they're ultimate. I've got an illustration from, from chess. I don't know if anyone here is following the World Chess Championship tonight. The blitz-off is happening. No, absolutely no one is following it. Okay, great. <laughs> Fine. My son, Oscar, is really into it. And, and this, this illustration hopefully will work with you, for you. Anyway, in chess, you want to keep your pawns. You want to keep them. They're good. But if you lose your, your pawns, it's not ultimate. You want to keep your bishop. But if you lose your bishop, it's not ultimate. In chess, you want to keep your queen. But it's a very important piece. But if you lose your queen, it's not ultimate. But your king, that one piece, you lose that piece, it's over. End of story. And I want to suggest that all those good things and all these things of creation, these are all, it's all a question of, are these on the chessboard of our lives? Are they the pawns? They have a value, but it's, that's the small value. Or are they the bishops, the castles? Is it the queen? Important, but still not the king. Or do we elevate these things into being the king? The thing that is ultimate. The thing that without that thing we are lost. We are nothing. We are undone. And, and Paul says, and the New Testament says, that even we who are Christians, we are still in this process of being transformed. So we still have an old heart as well as a new heart, we still have an old heart that tends to do this gazing downwards, lodging our hopes in the things of this world. It happens for me and it happens for you as well. And, and, and if you're th sitting there thinking, oh, I'm not so convinced about this, then what I would ask you is, what is your greatest fear? What is your greatest fear? See, your greatest fear will tell you a lot about 
What is that ultimate thing for you? That thing where if that happened or that was lost or that was taken away or that changed, then life would just be, it would be overturned, it would be, it would be lost. And that will also point us towards where our idols lie, where the things are that in our hearts can have that temptation to put them in the place of God. And I want to be honest with you as I was reflecting on this, that I was convicted about work and achievement. I mentioned that in there. The temptation to think that I am something, I am someone, I am valuable because of what I achieve. And that is an idol. Now, we could treat this as a theoretical exercise, but what I feel, believe, what Paul is saying is this is spiritual life and death. Spiritual life and death that we need to know what are the idols, what are the temptations, the things that our hearts can be drawn to those things so powerfully and they cease to be a pawn or a bishop or a queen, but they, cease, they start to be the king for us, the thing that we must have, that we cannot be without. We can't imagine it. So this is our human heart problem, the problem of a heart that is an idol factory, the problem of a heart that will always be turning from the unseen creator God in all his glory and magnificence, but turning from him who cannot be seen to turning to things in creation to see there for meaning. And God is angry with that and God won't accept that. And so what is the solution to the problem? What is the solution to our problem? The, the solution to the problem is to turn from and to turn, to turn to. Just as how we have turned from God to worship idols, now we have to turn from the idols and turn to. Well, it's easier said than done. Because first of all, we need to know what our idols are. So I think it's really actually healthy for us to reflect individually and together in home groups and as, as a community. What are the idols, the things that can grab our hearts and tell us these are the biggest things? But then what do we turn our hearts to? And how do we even do it? I mean, how many psycho psychologist appointments do you need to turn your heart from one thing to another? How do you do it? How do you change your heart? Well, God understands how impossible this is. And so God did the impossible. And the God of the universe came into the universe and gave us an image who would not be an idol, but an image that would be the true image of God. The true image of God, Jesus Christ, that's what the Bible calls him, the New Testament. Hebrews says that he is the, Im the very image of God's substance. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and that he and the Father are one. And so God did the impossible and gave us an image that is not an idol, somewhere that we can go, thank God, and we can fix our imagination on him, we can fix our heart on him, and then we are not undone, then we are not lost. We are not left to just sort of wander around and find an idol. We've got a place to go and to put our hopes, to put our security, to find our meaning, to make as our king, and then all the other pieces can fall into place as queens and bishops and rooks and pawns. This process of turning from idols to worship the living God in Jesus, as revealed in Jesus, is, in, uh, is captured for us in 2 Corinthians. Beautiful, wonderful passage. And uh, I'll just pick it up from here. The, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, that's what I was talking about, right? Turning from idols, turning from the things of this world as being ultimate, and turning to worship and orient ourselves and our hearts towards the Lord, 
then Paul says the veil is taken away. The, the obstacle between us and the unseen God is taken away and the holy God is taken away. The separation. He carries on. Now, the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I've got three brief points about what, what we can see here, what we can get here, what we can, what we can get here by orienting our hearts to Jesus. The first thing is we get what our hearts most desire, most desire. We can get, no, back. We can get access to God. We can get access to the Lord's glory. And that's what we do when we gather together as believers here, when we read the Scriptures, when you meet in your home groups and you talk together about the Lord Jesus and what He's been showing you of Himself. We get access to the Lord's glory. And the second thing that uh, we get is we get freedom. Freedom, big word, isn't it? Freedom, word we think about, talk about, write about, read about. It's a big word. And Paul here says that freedom is found when our hearts are set free from our idols, are set free from the worship of these things that will never deliver fulfillment, that will lead us along the garden path and then leave us heartbroken. Freedom is found when we leave from those and when we have our eyes transfixed on Jesus' face, when we are contemplating the Lord's glory, then we have freedom, the Spirit of the Lord at work in us with freedom. And the third thing that he says there is that when we do this, when we worship, we are transformed. We are being transformed into his image. Being transformed. This being transformed, I want to suggest to you that it is both devastatingly confronting and gloriously reassuring. It's devastating confronting because when we fix our eyes on Jesus' face, all of our idols have to be thrown away. And all those other things that we, our hearts can fear and chase after, all of those things have to renounce their place as king. They have to back off so that we can worship Jesus. So it is confronting for us, but is also gloriously reassuring. Because the Jesus who we contemplate is not a Jesus who says to you, Matt, Ian, Wendy, you're such a failure. Again, you've messed up. Look what you've done again. Your heart has run off after that idol again. You've put that other thing first again. That's not the Jesus that we contemplate. We, we, we contemplate the Jesus who is so full of love for you and for me that even though we did not give him his rightful place, he went and died on the cross for us and gave blood and his life and suffered for us. So full of love for us that he says, come, come to me, come to me. And so it is reassuring to contemplate Jesus because we can never, never do anything that will cause him to turn us away except turn away from him. If we turn to him, then he will always welcome us in, always love us. So, friends, this is what I've been meditating on, and I've got five advices for feeble worshippers. Because really, in going through this process, I, I saw the feebleness of my own worship. 
I saw how my heart is so quick to find meaning and security in other things. And so these are my five pieces of advice as we close here, uh, the, the sermon part, about worship, how advice for our feeble hearts. First of all, we need to expect our hearts to be an idol factory. We need to expect that. We've come to Jesus, we've become his people, or if you're here investigating it, wonderful. You're coming to Jesus, but this process continues where our hearts will continually try and urge us to worship things other than God. Our hearts will urge us to worship things other than God and orient ourselves to things in creation that are just more tangible, that are just within our grasp. And the second point, when that happens, because it does happen, it is going to happen, when you are lying awake anxious or you have gripping doubt or guilt or you are stewing over that thing or you are angry at that, that person or that situation or that loss or you are longing or lusting or clinging or despairing, when that happens, we can observe that we are in the grip of our idols. When those things happen, we are in the grip of our idols. And what can we choose to do? We can choose to direct our eyes upwards and say, Jesus, these are the things that are giving me fear and anxiety and whatever. These are not my God. You are my God. And you love me. So we can direct our gaze to Jesus who loves us, who calls us to himself, who is full of mercy, love, truth, and righteousness. The third thing we can do when we are tempted to worship the things of this world is we can warn ourselves of the folly. It's not going to lead us anywhere good if we go down those roads. So we need to warn ourselves of the destructive end of worshipping those things, putting them first before God. And then when your heart is slow to respond like mine is and you find your worship to be fragile, remind yourself of God's grace. It's God's grace that beckons us towards him, not our deservedness. It's God's grace that says, come, gaze on me and be transformed. We don't earn it. We're not there yet. So the verse 2 Corinthians said, we are being transformed. It's going on. So don't despair. Remind yourself that it's God's grace. And all you have to do, all you have to do is point your imagination, your heart, your thinking towards the Lord Jesus Christ, and let him speak into that moment of temptation or idolatry. And the last point that I, I, is a really important one, which is when God just doesn't seem to be sufficient and when God just doesn't seem to have what is needed for our needs, ask your heart gently to wait for the Lord. The times when our idols, those things that we give ultimate importance to, the times when they are going to be most confronted in our lives are not when we are on vacation and the sun is shining and all is well. No, the time when our idols are going to be confronted is when we are in the furnace, when we have lost family member or we have lost work or we have been rejected when those times when things are being lost from us then the question comes what is ultimate for us where do we find hope for our family members where do we find hope for our 
sick bodies? Where do we find hope and meaning and security for broken communities and unreconciled communities? Where do we find hope for these things? Isn't in creation, but it's in Jesus. So we can wait upon the Lord when we face these, these terrible trials because those trials will purify our worship, purify our hearts, help us to wean them off the idols and to uh, fix our hearts on Jesus who is ultimately satisfying. Let's pray. Lord God, we are just so grateful that you have given us your Son and that you are a God of grace who is pleased to reveal yourself to us and draw us to yourself and let us gaze upon you and let us worship you, let us know you, let us come to you. And so I pray for each one of us as we do have these battles with idols, we do have battles with things that contend for our heart to be ultimate, I pray, Almighty God, you help us to turn our gaze to Jesus and find in him the hope for our brokenness, the security that we need when things are fragile, the meaning when all seems meaningless. Help us to see Jesus. Give us that vision by your Holy Spirit of who he is and help us to walk that path together, together fixing our eyes on Jesus' face that we may worship you as your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.